I'm Brandon Munro. This is Gavin Chamberlain. We are Bannerman Energy. Bannerman has the Atango project in Namibia. It's a very large scale uranium project. It's very close to development. We're fully permitted and we will be producing 3.5 million pounds per annum over a long mine life in the short period of time once we've achieved the financing this year. Initially 3.5. Could be Initially. more. Could be more. Uh, right. good, good to see you guys. Um, you're over here at Indaba. It's packed. It's rammed. Government ministers running around everywhere. Lots of institutional funding, it seems. Uh, here to catch up with you guys, though, and find out what's going on. So um, you were in country last week. week. Yes. How are things going? Yeah, great in country. You know, Namibia's working again. It's uh, after a bit of a break over Christmas. The team's working really well. We had a stakeholder function in Vintook. We had another one in Swakopmund. Lots of support. People are excited. It's a big deal to award a mining license in Namibia. So expectations are high. And part of it is explaining what that now means for everybody. Yeah. Managing some expectations. You know, it doesn't mean we're going to have 700 people on site next Wednesday. Yeah. But also helping the local host community understand that this is real. It's happening and uh, the mining license was the very last permit that we needed. Yep. Reality of mining is something I want to run throughout this conversation because I thought when the rubber hits the road, you've got to be able to deliver, right? So, uh, but first of all, we better start with this guy. <laughs> to your left, Gavin, welcome. We, we met you here last year. So there's a new sheriff in town. Apparently it's you. <laughs> so you step up into the CEO role. Yes. Um, probably eighth or ninth of March will be official. Right. Um, it's a real challenge, and I think the interesting thing about it is, I think exactly what you were touching on now, Currently. is everybody thinks that what we do is easy. And this project, if we have to compare it to, let's say, the Husa project where you know I was involved as a project director. Yeah. The Husa project. I did, I did, well, I did know that, but I'm not sure everyone else Yeah. Does. So when was that? Um, that was 2010, I think, is right. when we, when we finished they, it off. What were they producing? How much? Uh, to tell you the honest truth, I don't know. It's hard to find out the real number. Right. Um, but yeah, enough, enough. <laughs> yeah, I mean, double the size of what we are, right? Okay, um, okay. and fairly tricky ore body, two point two billion dollars um, over a five-year construction period, right? Oh, compared wow. to us, three hundred and seventeen million dollars. Okay, um, probably a two-year construction period, right? And probably a very easy ore body in terms of we don't have we don't have any high calcium or anything. Our acid usage is fairly low, right. so you would think it's simple, but I think you may remember back last year, I mean, we said my role was to be paired. Yeah. And Brandon's role was to be patient. So what I've been doing for the last year, I've yeah. been preparing to build this job project properly. Right. So okay. we've been de-risking it. We've been okay. spending a lot of time finding out exactly where we think the real problems may be. And we spent a lot of time de-risking the schedule specifically. So where they would delay theirs in finance, obviously there's an impact on schedule. And what mm. we've been looking at doing is what work we can do now to minimize the risk of any delays on the schedule. Right. So, so to give you an idea of a couple of the things we've done is we've actually gone out and we've placed the two contracts in the day after we were awarded the mining license, we were prepared yeah, and we right. placed the orders for the construction, for the access road and for the, for the water line to the mine. Okay. The Did you say water? Yes. We're going to talk about that later as well. That's cool. Well, okay. that's good. <laughs> But what's important about that is what it's really doing is de-risking the whole construction. So yep. we know that when we get to FID, okay. we'll be able to access the mine. And most importantly, we'll have water on the mine already in storage dams waiting right. to be used for the construction. Okay. 
keeping in mind the water on site is there's no water on site apart from what we're now bringing in. Right. And the cost of having to truck water from yeah. Swakopmund would have been a major risk for project yeah. going forward. Yep. Okay. So those are the sort of de-risking activities that okay. we've been focused on. Glad to see that you thought about the water. There's, there's a lot of commentary on social media that suggests that perhaps, and then maybe in companies hadn't clocked it yet. So we'll come back to that. Yeah. I am being facetious deliberately. Um, Okay, when you talked about the kind of $2 billion bills, and obviously this is a lot smaller, you know, what did you say it was three? 317. 317 million, okay. Yeah. It's no less complicated, and it's no less problematic. It's just smaller, is that, is that what you're saying? Yeah, so the actual process plant yeah. is not as difficult right. as what, well, mo- as complex as what USAP was. Mm. It's a fairly simple process. Um, we don't have an Essex plant. Our footprint is much smaller. What we're building is much smaller than what we built there. Right. But, you know, things go wrong. I yeah. mean, on HUSAP, we actually, the mill rolled off the truck on the way to delivery to site. <laughs> right. Okay. But, you know, those are the sort of things yeah. that, that you can't necessarily foresee. Yeah. But you need to be nimble. And what I'm trying to do is bring a nimble sort of approach to project management within right. the company. Right. And the team that we've got both, in Joburg that's doing the design as well as our team in, in Namibia, which has been led really well by Werner Eervolt, who mm. was the mining manager from Rossing. So mm. in terms of for our project, one of the key issues is making sure that mining is de-risk. And Werner brings a huge wealth of knowledge to, to the team on that. Yeah. And I'm really just trying to help them in terms of my experience over 30 odd years of building projects in Africa as to how we can do this seamlessly and make it work. Right, okay. And it, and it comes back to that reality thing, okay? There's, there's, it's easy to talk about it, and there's a lot of companies, I guess, you know, creating value in the market by driving share price up by talking about it. You have got to, you're at that point now, you've got to make decisions about actually doing it, getting the pounds out of out of the ground. Now, when you're down at the conference here, when you're having those conversations, and you kind of introduced me some, to some of the Namibian um, VIPs last night, people in important in country, um, what are their concerns about your ability to kind of get this over the line? What are they expecting to see from you? It depends on what sort of stakeholder they are, of course. Um, I think if you were to generalize amongst the Namibians, they're, they're concerned about a couple of things. They want to make sure and help us to ensure that this project delivers into the window we've got at the moment. You know, every year closer is a year of revenue, is a year of taxes, is a year of... Mm employment and all of that. So as as we've been telling the market, uh, we expect to be commissioning at the end of 2026 and full production 2027. Now that's very close. So this is a big mine and that's a short construction period. As Gavin says, we should be able to, once we've achieved FID, we should be looking at about two years. So those stakeholders know that they've got a role to play, whether it's the government awarding us the mining license in good order, if it's uh, the NAM Water who um, provided with water, if it's NAM Power and so on. Mm. Um, so for them, it's about certainty of timing so that they can do their planning. And so much of what the stakeholder interga- interactions were last week was just that. This is what we're going to need. This is when we need it. Right. If you don't deliver this bit, it's going to put us under pressure. Yeah. Okay, you got that. Great. Yeah. Now we move forward. Okay. Now, um, obviously change of leadership in government to the unfortunate well 82 good innings and a, and a good man by, by all accounts he was um, yeah so you 
there's a tremendous transition. Is that a smooth transition? This isn't a change, a hostile change of government. It's a change of leadership. Is, is that right? I mean, how, do you, have you got any sense of the, 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 the commitment of the, of the new guy, for instance? Look, we understand it really well. And uh, you, of course, know Tuapewa Kadikwa well. For yep. everyone out there, she's our independent director in Namibia. Um, she's been down with us at, in Darba this week, yep. as, uh, as, as you learned yesterday. yesterday. Yes, very lively. Very, very lively, yeah. And very well connected. <laughs> yes. Yeah, of course. And, yeah. you know, she's an icon in Namibia. She's yeah. all over TV. She's really well known and respected and very close to the political process. Right. So that's a real advantage at times like this. And mm. it's the first time that a sitting president has passed in office in Namibia. Mm -hmm. um, in some parts of Africa, that would be an automatic cue for yeah, jostling, yeah. positioning, chaos, potential military intervention. But as you know, having been there, and as I think most people who know Namibia understand, uh, Namibia is entirely stable yeah. There's a process and a procedure. It's been followed to the letter. And it's going to be just another tick in the box for Namibia's strength as a democracy. Right, okay. It's very sad that the country's quite shocked. Yeah. Um, there was an awareness that uh, um, the late Goinkop was uh, battling um, cancer, being yeah. treated for cancer, but um, terribly sad that it just happened so suddenly. So yeah. yeah. Uh, it's a difficult time for Namibia. It's a small country. It's still a fairly young country. Um, but at least from a political stability um, perspective, everything's just slotted into place. And the current um, president, who was the vice president, has stepped in, made it clear it's a caretaker role. He won't be contesting at the next election. And all of the SWAPO party's procedures as to who the next candidate will be, uh, which is Mrs. Nandi Ntumbu... Uh, uh, Nandi and Daitwa, yeah. beg your pardon. Yeah. Uh, she'll now step up as the Swapo Party's okay. presidential candidate. Okay. So we've talked a little bit about some of the internal stakeholders within Namibia and some of the conversations you've had. Let's talk about some of the external potential stakeholders, which would be utilities and others looking to try and understand your ability to get into production, produce those pounds, produce pounds out of the ground. We're no longer in the pounds in the ground game. This is about and there's not many of you who can claim to do that anytime soon. So in terms of the conversations from, from that audience, what are, again, what are they trying to understand? Is it just purely around timing or um, is it a little bit more commercial than that? No, it's, I mean, most of the conversations we've had have been with sophisticated institutional investors who are, they might not have had that many opportunities in uranium well, to understand new projects because there just aren't really any. We're, yeah. we're will probably be the first of the Greenfields projects coming in this cycle. Right. Uh, but they've done plenty of it in other forms of mining. So they're very focused on where are the risks, what's been dealt with. And in many of those conversations, it was basically a checklist. What about that? Oh, you've done it. What about that? Oh, you've done it. What about that? Oh, how did you manage that? And they worked their way through. And then we get to the end of that line of topics. And they realize that, well, the risk remaining... Uh, it's just achieving financing, which also includes achieving long-term contracts and locking in shareholder value at the current levels of pricing or better. Mm -hmm. And then it's execution risk. Then they leave me alone and start uh, peppering Gavin with questions it's for a while. It's time to start so, annoying you, Gavin. Uh, <laughs> he pointed at you, so it's going to happen. Um, so let's get, let's get on to this water issue. Yeah. 
okay? So there's a existing desalination plant on the coast, been there, seen it, it exists. Uh, there's a pipeline, existing pipeline, which goes up and feeds, and uh, was it Hussam? Hussam on the south of yeah. the highway, and, and Rossing, Rossing on the on north, the north of the right? River. And you are doing what? In terms of securing your initial water needs and future water needs, what have you had to do? What have you had to plan in? It's actually been quite simple for us. So we've actually got an agreement in place with Nam Water. Yeah. Where they've told us that the water supply is available. But, yeah. You know, we, it's not just that we're sitting back and saying, okay, we're accepting that. So we also sit on the water committee as well. So we okay. know all of the mines that are planned, all of the expansions that are planned, right. what the capacity of the current plant is, they're currently actually upgrading the plant. They're putting in one extra bank of osmosis yeah, um, yeah. filters. And given that, they can supply the immediate needs of of the existing projects plus yeah. the two potential projects, ours and the other one, right. that are going to be built. But over and above that is there's already talk about building a second desalination plant. Yeah. The debate is really around who will build it. Yeah. Well, who um, will pay for it or who will build it? No, who will build it? Because okay. at the end of the day, is the water users are going to pay for it in, right. the, in the long term. Right. So right now, that's a debate that's going on. But we don't have any concerns right now mm -hmm. for the 8 million ton project. We have enough water. Okay. All we have to do, we install a pipeline from the pump station just outside Swakopmund. Which I've been to. Yeah. To, <laughs> to yeah. effectively running parallel to the Langa Heinrich pipeline. Yeah. And then we have an offtake shoot into it. Well, we take it off into our site. Right. Okay. So, some sleuths out there, some people have been doing some digging. They say, well, actually, the water's contaminated. So, that's a problem, isn't it? No. Okay. So, yeah, there are big stories about, you yeah. know, we have, we have sulfur blooms. And when you have a sulfur bloom, it does affect your production. But what we've done is, and part of this is part of being ready again, yeah. is we actually evaluated the, the size of our ponds that were in the DFS. Yep. And we've increased them to 10 day storage based on, the factual sulfur blooms that we've seen in the last three, four years. Right. Okay. So effectively what we've seen three or four years. Okay. Okay. Right. Yeah. That's when they, when they become predominant and it's okay. probably if it's affected the other guys that are already in, in yeah. this sort of production. Yeah. But what we're saying is based on their experiences and what we've seen ourselves, we've actually started resized our ponds to, to deal with that risk. So, so, so we'll have 10 days worth of storage on site to okay. deal with it. So, so, so it's a, it was a fair comment and it's something that you aware of but you need to guard against and get ahead of right yeah. um so i think there was a statement going uh, which went out which said okay the mines uranium mines in namibia we're gonna have a big water issue in simple terms how do you react to that i mean what would you say to said individual or individuals well well we also slightly different from all the other mines in that okay. our supply is 100% desalination. Yeah. A lot of the other mines are drawing on, on aquifers. And if they're all drawing on the same aquifer, they potentially could have some additional yep. problems. Yeah. But the, the mines are being proactive. And through the water committee that we sit on, we understand what they're seeing in terms of problems. Yeah. So my reaction to that is, yes, we're aware of issues. Yeah. We know what we have to do. And together we, with water committee, we know what as a collective has to be done to be able to solve the problem. It's almost like you've done it before, isn't it? <laughs> it could be. <laughs> yeah, and to be clear, Gavin's yeah. talking about all of the mines, yeah. not just the uranium mines. Yeah, 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 absolutely, absolutely. So it's a fair, again, a fair question, but you're, you, you know what you're doing. Um, when you, how, how do you react when you kind of hear these, I mean, I don't mind questions being asked. Everyone's got absolute right to 
you know, ask a question. I think making statements is a, I do have an issue with. Yeah. Because I sometimes think rather than trying to have an opinion about something you don't know about, be quiet and maybe ask questions or go and investigate. I, I, I think generally we try to do that as well. We don't talk about stuff we don't know anything about. How do, for you guys, it, it's quite damaging though, right? In the, in the sense that it's a distraction or a question mark was perhaps unnecessary. It, it's a problem when the doubt is put in someone's mind, not because it's been raised as an yeah. issue or raised as a question or raised as a risk or a challenge, but it's been portrayed as a state of facts. Not everyone is comfortable dropping me an email or a DM or um, going onto Twitter and saying, but is this really true? Yeah. If people say, is this really true? Well, then we can explain and, you know, we can present a confirmed set of facts such as Gavin's just presented yeah. based on people who are in the ground, right. on the ground in the country the whole time in the meetings, signing the documents, as opposed to somebody who's perhaps reading a little bit in the newspaper, reading a bit on Twitter, yeah. um, forming conclusions wrapping it up in a whole lot of confidence yeah. and then relying on credibility that I might have earned elsewhere yeah. to back the basis for those statements. Right. And, and that's where it is unhelpful. I think it is unhelpful. I, and, I, and I say to anyone listening in into this show, you know, I think anything when we've certainly done our weekly shows over, over the years, you say, like, we need all of the above to work, okay? This isn't a case of instead of, it's an as well situation. But there are some companies which are just ahead of the curve. They're going to get into production a bit sooner. And, you know, guys like Gavin, we can been there and done it and got the T-shirt in terms of building these things. It's, um, it's a case of making sure that they do it in the most efficient way possible, right? That's, that, that's the role, right? The, the role, rather, I should say. Um, for, the, for the company, though, I'm trying to, I'm trying to work out in terms of um, actual companies that will get into production, will actually get these pounds out of the, out of the ground. This, I mean, we're not talking, it's, it's literally a handful. New, new, new production, I'm talking about, not restarts. Of uh, significant scale. scale. Of significant scale. Okay. Yeah, that's right. They're, you you've got a finger spare if you count it on one hand. Right. Okay. And there's a whole bunch of like so half half million pound type projects and in the US which are sort of, you know, after a long time restarting, I guess. Um, so not to be discounted. There's benefit and so there's credibility and benefit to to every person who can get into production. No no problem with that. But in terms of the what would you say to investors looking into you in terms of Bannerman as part of their portfolio. You're on the OTC, BNNF. I'm going to BNNLF. BNNLF. Got it. Okay. You're on the OTC as well, so you're accessible to the North American market as an Aussie company as as well. Um, what would you say with regards to to those people? And so, what type of risk profile is Bannerman compared to some of the you know other options they've got available? Well, you start with why are people interested, and they're interested because the price has doubled in six months, Ugh. and Almost universally, commentators and forecasters are saying the risk is still to further upside in the uranium price, a view that I subscribe to. So people are wanting to get exposure to current pricing, which if you look at the spot price of over $100, uh, produces exceptionally good shareholder returns, plus the potential for more. Mm. So we can achieve that. First of all, as you point out, you know, in terms of permit-ready construction-ready projects of scale around the world, there's only a handful of them. So for someone who wants that exposure, it's exposure that will actually be banked in the time frame that we're talking about, generate real cash flow in the time frame that we're talking about. It's not just increasing the perceived value of something, it is actual real in-the-bank value. 
that's from our main project. We can expand beyond that. We've done a lot of work internally on taking it from three and a half million pounds to seven million pounds. Again, we would be working on that expansion, writing the contracts for that expansion in this time frame that people are talking about. But it goes beyond that. Like some of these discussions that I've had with institutions this week, they've really focused on the leverage. And the feedback that I was getting was, we particularly like Bannerman because all of the exposure in the company, all of the enterprise value exposure, goes back to this one project. So some of the brokers who cover us, they've now started putting out for every $5 increase in the uranium price, it counts as this much per share. Right. Um, there are others who are in the position like us, but they've got other assets. So their market capitalization is at least double what ours is. So explain, get into detail, because that's, that's really important, because most people say, oh, we've kind of got a, um, a de-risk portfolio. We've got two or three assets in the portfolio. It means if, if something goes horrifically wrong, we're going to be okay, thank you very much. You're saying, well, actually, the single asset is, is an asset, a benefit, because specifically it's what? pure leverage exposure to our ability to capture current market and improved market conditions sure. into our project. We haven't committed any of our production, so we don't have any long-term contracts that we signed when, when pricing wasn't as favorable. So we're fully exposed to the market going forward. Um, and we don't have any other assets in the company that are material, you know, it's cash and a, and a small listed shareholding uh, that have a deleveraging effect. You're not paying for something in the portfolio that isn't capable of putting cash flow into the bank uh, in this immediate cycle. Okay. And, and to put some numbers around that, we're talking about a $600 million market cap Australian for well over 200 million pounds of uranium in our resource and a initial 3.5 million pound per annum production uh, profile that we have every belief we'd be able to expand. Okay. And so the time frame where you've outlined the time frame to commissioning end of 2026, right? It's quickly, the, the cash number in the bank at the moment is as of last quarter? End of the year, 35 million. Australian. 35 million. So it's 35 million. You've got, sounds like you've got enough money to do everything you need to do to kind of get you to that end point, do you? Yeah, definitely. And the other thing about it as well is if there's a delay in FRD, yeah. it just allows me to do more detailed design work. Right. And that's part of the DRS scheme, once again, of the, of the overall schedule. Yeah. Is the more. You know, if we, if we have a gap in terms of FRD, uh, we can actually go in, we can do more detailed design, meaning when we place FRD comes, we actually even more construction ready than we are today. So to give you an idea is in, in my life, I've been through, worked with many junior miners, either for them or with them. Yeah. I've never been in the position in the junior mining space where companies had 35 million in the bank, already done their feed, yeah. already placed their first two construction uh, contracts and still have cash in the bank to deal with risks as we move forward. Right. It's a very unusual position to be in and one that I'm really looking forward to using to our benefit. You better thank the chairman for that, honey. Yes, I think timing I is everything. <laughs> but but timing is everything. Yeah. Absolutely right. Timing is yeah. everything. And, you know, when we talk about FID and when we talk about financing, it's not really about an unintentional delay. It's about this luxury that we've got at the moment to choose the timing of it, to optimize it, to optimize the market for when we are prepared to commit to long-term contracts, all the while knowing 
that Gavin's marching the construction process forward. Yeah. Most of what he's doing at the moment, a, norm, a company would only start once they've already done the drawdown of the debt. Right. So we're moving construction forward, having a wide window in which at our option, we can accelerate and finalize the financing. Right. Can I, can I try and understand the kind of drivers in your head? Because I've been talking to a lot of the uranium guys and gals, and I've got to speak to one at this afternoon, another one this afternoon over the US, where this kind of moving from a buyer's market to a seller's market and the kind of psychology in that, in that kind of crossover, that, that kind of, you know, that kind of no man's land where you go, well, the buyers still think, well, maybe there's a chance it could come back in our favor. And now you've got sellers going, ah, I've had 10 years where you've beaten us up, uh, time for payback a little. You know, someone will think that, and they've said that to me. Um, and others are going, well, maybe if price continues to move as violently as it has, and it has been spectacular last year, was it, I think someone, as I said, 80% gain across the whole of the last 12 months. Maybe it'll move quickly through the ne for the next two, three months uh, as, as well, in which case I'll just maybe just sort of sit back and, and wait. You're in the luxurious position of being able to wait because you've got money, and money's a killer for for some. Okay, so it strangles the company's intent and, and and ambition sometimes. So you're sitting there. What are the drivers which say uh, which will allow you to make a decision about the timing of when you press the big green button? Well, first of all, it's a series of buttons. It's okay. an array of buttons. You know, when we choose to enter into our first long-term contract, mm -hmm. most of our production is still exposed to upside prices. Right. And we will layer in contracts over time. Um, how many of those contracts we need to layer in? Well, that depends on our financing structure. Right. Okay. And again, what we've got is options on our financing structure. It's not, yeah. it's not a typical project finance. There it is. X percent debt, X percent equity. Oh. We're in a really envious position or because we don't have any alignment so there's no strategics on our register we other than our um our local shareholder which is a charitable organization as part of our esg we own the whole project we haven't yet written any off take or any contracts so we're very wide open in terms of the different tools that we can use for this financing so for somebody who might be out there doing a few sums and saying well let's say it's 70 yeah. percent debt 30% equity, right? That's going to be this many shares and they, yeah. they're going to be hitting the market by the end of next year or whatever. Yeah. Um, that That's a scenario. Yeah. But for us, we're fortunate to have many different options, some of which would not involve the issue of any equity at all. Right. Okay, I hear you. But, but can, can, can you give us some clues here? Because we're, we're, we're all desperate mathematicians that aren't wanting to work out how do we value these things. The, the price of spot is one thing, price of contracts is another we understand that and contracts can be written any way you see fit so agreement between two parties and you can have you know caps to the bottom and, and 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 to the top of that and lots of bells and whistles in between you surely are in are you in discussions yet with parties or is it just a case of where people want to speak to us but we're gonna just wait and read the market a bit so is, what, are, what are the actual things i mean i know you've got optionality but Give me some of the things which will make you go, actually, let's get something in the bag here, guys. So again, there's no single button that you push. No. Okay. But you do, I'm talking about the first one, the first thing, because if you, you've got to work out how you finance this thing, and it may not involve uh, equity, okay? In which case, kind of doesn't matter to you about yeah. getting a, a contract in place anytime soon. But if 
if you are there, do you look out there in the market and say what other people have been doing and think well actually that, that that's probably sensible or that's actually I'd like that kind of risk adjusted approach to to this this finance I mean yeah look we've we've advanced with that right so okay okay we commenced a strategic financing process last year with the grant of the mining license that's given us the impetus to now really start engaging with a variety of parties mm-hmm. each party particularly in the industry in the nuclear power industry each party has different drivers and different capacities so that's why we're we're working through a range of different structures okay because we don't know which one will produce the best outcome right uh, until we see numbers and also we don't know which parties are going to prefer this route that route or that route and in terms of discussions with utilities you know that's an ongoing process it's been you know warming up for a couple of years and with yeah. the appointment of Olga Skolyakova, who, of course, you know, you've had her on the energy show a few yeah, times. Yeah. She knows she knows the players so well. Yeah. She's seeing them at conferences every month or two. Uh, we were together in London at the beginning of January in working groups with a lot of uh, these players. So it's a consistent conversation. It's not a knock on the door. Right today, I'd like to talk to you about like what sort of price would you do it at? Mm. Uh, we're constantly testing them and saying, well, what are you seeing? You know, do you have a preference on converter? How open are you? Um, you know, what's it looking like for 2027 for you? Right. How much could you tolerate from a new producer? Are you good with Namibia? Yes, tick, thank you. Okay. There's a lot that you can solve for before you have the price discussion, which is we would be prepared to offer it to you at this. Yeah. Should we talk further? The reason I'm pushing you on this is because a lot of groups out there, you know, spoke to one this week, you know, got three three contracts in place all look very very different like the contracts but they needed that to kind of get the financing to give comfort to get the financing in place right and you've got you've got lots of different strategies being employed that you guys have held your cars very close to your chest though i think on the on the financing it feels like to me um as with all of the things that you've done all the way along the way you like to announce it after the event um is that going I, to change? I know that look. I yeah, know that look. A, and you're not a, going to get yeah. anything more out of me. Would you like a drink? <laughs> <laughs> and then let's talk. Um, do, I mean, do you know what I Because mean? I think people are just kind of keen. Because I, I look at your valuation and, I, and it's, 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 it's good, but it could be so much more if people yeah. recognize where you're at in the process. And it sounds like I've got a little bit out of you today in terms of those conversations. Mm-hmm. And, you know, mm-hmm. it's been obviously a big, big, big part of that as well. Yeah. Um, and I think that the takeaway people want to be able to get from a conversation with you guys is timing for you know the the, the kind of the, the big milestones between now and and commissioning and you know could it be possible the commission comes earlier would you be in a position to have that earlier or you're clearly in position to delay it if, if anything goes wrong in the market as well but I think that's what people want from you guys why what? why why do you play it like you do so number one. I think we've demonstrated a capability of working in different scenarios concurrently. Mm. We've done that at least for the last eight years that I've been CEO. And effectively, like most of those scenarios, the the outside world doesn't see, but they're detailed planning scenarios. And that's enabled us so far to navigate a really difficult bear market and to chase the scenario, which is we've become fully permitted, fully construction ready, literally on the eve of uranium hitting three figures. 
you know, and that's kind of sweet. Okay, that's a sweet spot. Um, the other thing is we don't like to overpromise and underdeliver. So when I say to the market that we're going to do this, we've got a really good idea that we're going to do it. It's, it's not an intention. It's not a plan. It's pretty much baked in. And we understand where the risks are and we can talk to those risks. Now, if I start talking to you about you know, what we're thinking of doing or mm. one of the scenarios, well, then we kind of start to dilute that confidence that we've built up over many years. I hear you. Like there might be some people who want to see more definitive uh, uh, public acknowledgement of those plans before yeah. they can start to build in additional um, value into our market cap. And for those people, I'd say, well, just have a look at our track record, have a look at what we've been able to do over the last eight years and their value impacts when we have made the announcements of what we've achieved, not what we're thinking of achieving. Cool. And I suppose then you, you use those magic words, trust us to keep doing it. And then the, the gap between where we're trading at the moment and the fully de-risked value gap, that is very substantial with us at the moment. So I'd invite investors to have a look at us and decide how much of that execution and financing value gap you'd like to participate at. And if you want all of that, well, now's a really good time to come onto our register. Okay. Right. R red flag. I want, there must be a red flag in here. So do you feel that you're ready to go now and it's just a case of improving the, the planning, the de-risking and finessing now? Or are there major, still major components that need to be addressed? From a construction perspective and design perspective, yeah. no more red flags. Okay. Um, we're comfortable that we've dealt with them. Right. Obviously, things change. I mean, we have little things that will, there'll be bumps in the road. Yeah. Okay. But those are bumps that the team that we will, that's the other thing. I mean, it comes to the team as well. So right now, the combination of my network in terms of project skills, construction skills, then Evolt's connection in terms of network around Blind. mining skills, et cetera. That is going to make a major difference in terms of the team that we build. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we need time to build that team. So we're not going to give you any more in terms of what the planning is around yeah. finance, but it's part of our strategy and our thinking yeah. in terms of when we start pushing the buttons for the key positions that we need. Right. So we've actually identified people yeah. We know who they're likely to be, and we'll be able to bring them on board very quickly. Yeah. And they're people that we trust and we've worked with before. So here's the thing in this game. Where I've been interviewing people now for like three, three and a half years. I hear a lot of people saying the same thing. So give me, honestly, from your perspective, why are you more likely to deliver than some of the people saying some of the same things about you? Maybe not in quite an advanced state with, the, with regards to the planning, but... Nevertheless, they're in that kind of development phase, and I'm getting all sorts of stuff thrown at me, which I, I, I have, when I, the camera switches off, I'm shaking my head, right? Why are you any different from those guys? Why well, am I any different? <laughs> I don't think it's or an, your team. I don't, you, I don't think it's an I. That's yeah. what I was going to say. Okay. It's, it's really the team. Yeah. I mean, we've got a really small but focused team in Namibia already. We're using Namibian consultants, Namibian contractors at the moment. Why is that good? It's good because they have a, a uniform culture and they see things in the same way. They don't, they don't take a small problem and make it into a big problem. They take a small problem and they get rid of it. Right. And we've already got that culture in the company. Now, 
one of my challenges is, is as we grow the company is to make sure we don't lose that culture. <laughs> so the Namibians see a company as the person that's leading the company. They don't see it as, they don't relate to, let's say, Bannerman. They relate to Brandon, um, Werner, and Bannerman as a whole. You know, so what we're trying to do is we're trying to get the right culture in place where people believe in the people that are Bannerman, not in Bannerman. Why, why does the culture mean it gets built seamlessly or efficiently? I think it's the speed of decision-making. Okay, so you're entrepreneurial in yeah. that sense. Yeah, and, and Agile, the, the Namibians yeah, as yeah. a whole are, are, are like that. Right. You know, it's the Afrikaans have a lovely saying, a Burmaka plant, which is a farmer makes a plan. And that attitude and that can-do attitude exists within Namibia. Yeah. And within the Namibian people. So we see that as a core cornerstone of our culture okay, going and again, forward. And again, I'm going to push you here a little bit. Yeah. Okay. Because um, reacting quickly is great and having the right attitude is great. But we're talking engineering here and efficiencies of getting the thing built getting it out of the ground the cheapest possible meaning, yeah. meaningful way and ma maintaining that margin that you want to be able to make on this one. So in terms of the, the, the people, forget the attitude, forget the, the, the brand. I'm saying in terms of the people on the ground who built this thing for, I'm looking at you, yeah. done it before. G give me the rest of the team why they're going to help you get this thing done properly. Okay, so from the engineering perspective. Yeah, because that's black and white, right? Yeah, that's it's, black and white. And the team that we've employed in yeah. the, to do the process plant has been with the company for 14 years, knows the process plant backwards and has delivered. And actually, were some of them were part of the team that delivered HUSA. Okay. I like that bit. Yeah. Good. Then over and above that is the team that we've got in Namibia, which is the infrastructure and the mining teams in Namibia. These are guys that have built projects in Namibia before. And the mining guy has built projects in Namibia before. So he knows what he's doing. Right. So it's, we're not having to teach the team new tricks. Effectively, yeah. they understand not, what they're, not what they're dealing the job. with. Okay. Yeah. okay. But I mean, to give you an idea, I mean, the people that we're talking about is, so there's a couple of key positions from an owner's team perspective. So from an owner's team perspective, we will have to fill my spot with a project director at some point in time. We've already identified candidates there okay. that I've personally worked with, mentored, understand that they understand the way I think about a project. Right, okay. We've got a commercial manager who's already been identified that we'll, we'll bring in to look at the contractual and the cost side of things. At the end of the day, cost control and risk management on these projects is what's key for us. And those two key people are people that I've worked with personally for probably over 15 years on various projects. So there's a loyalty and an understanding and that we're bringing into the team. And they also know the people that are delivering. So it's the the speed of decision making it's it's like you're almost forming a family and you can yeah. have a family meeting quickly and make a decision right and i think that's the essence of it it's it's, it's around also projects not complicated you can walk around that project site you don't need to have a, a vehicle to drive you around the site you can actually walk that site that's you know it's it's compact so you can talk to people quickly you can solve problems quickly yeah. So these are all things that add value to the construction process. And it's and it really is about the team okay. and the speed of decision making. Okay. I had a great interview with Dustin Garrow. I think you know what most people know in the sector. Uh, a few weeks ago, he used, he used a fantastic phrase, which was, the rubbers hit the road. Mm -hmm. Right. And what, by that, he meant 
Well, now we'll see who remains parked up, talking a good game, and now we'll see who produces the pounce. So the robber has hit the road. You, you look like you're on the road. You started driving, but you're going to drive at your own pace. Correct. Sounds like. In terms of time and expenditure. Yeah. We control all of the expenditure. Okay. We've already um, awarded those two contracts, so that's now spent. Yeah. But uh, with 35 million, we can decide exactly how quickly we spend that on what we spend it. And other than our overheads, which are still very modest, um, we will decide when we spend it and on what. Okay. You, you, you sound like the kind of guy I, I want to invest in. Um, well done. Um, but uh, I need you, so a slightly uplifting, give people a reason who are not invested in this, give them a reason why you are worth consideration as part of their investment portfolio. Okay. The Tango is an enormous project. It's in Namibia. Been producing uranium for 45 years, social, government, political support, excellent uh, labor force availability, three uranium mines will be the fourth there. And, and another one fifth uh, is coming on in um, similar fashion. So Namibia is an ideal address for what we're doing. We've got a team that apart from who we've talked about um, includes our CFO, Steve Hurley, Mike Leach, who you know quite well, who was the managing director of Rossing when it was the largest uranium mine in the world. Um, Norman Green, who when Gavin was building HUSAB, he was the CEO of the client, Swakop Uranium. He uh, heads our um, technical steering committee and is very involved. Um, we've got people who deeply understand Namibia, who deeply understand building and operating mines, and who deeply understand the uranium sector. Add Olga and myself to that, and we've got a layer deep into the downstream nuclear industry. We've got a track record of being very responsible and uh, strategic in the way that we develop things, use our funds, um, and uh, a lot of transacting capability, including what I bring to the table, that I think gives people a lot of confidence that we will achieve a very good financing outcome for shareholders. You package that all up and you say, well, where's the money? We're the most leveraged play to these uranium prices that you can find on ASX. All of our value is directly related to pricing because we haven't yet committed any of our production and we're in a position that we can start writing contracts as soon as we're ready because we're fully permitted and we're construction ready. That's a unique package, an utterly unique package at a time when the investment community is crying out. We've seen it like the last four days, crying out for opportunities quality opportunities to invest in uranium. They're only just starting to come in. So for someone considering Bannerman Energy as a uranium investment, there is a wall of money that you can either follow or you can choose to do your homework now, get comfortable on what you need to and be in front of that wall of money. You have met in the media. Cheers, Matt. Go and good see you. Uh, uh, yeah, keep doing it. Keep doing your thing, okay? And that was, um, and I appreciate dealing with the water issue. Like I said, lots of fuss around that one, but I think you've answered the question, hopefully. Any more questions? People contact Brandon directly. He's quite responsive, I think, usually. Um, no topics off limit, right? Good. Okay, okay guys, good. see you soon. Okay, thanks a lot.